This man will sway not just the German people, he will sway the entire world. And he will make great boasts. He'll get you to believe that up is down, down is up, black is white, white is black. That if you kill your own mother, you're serving God if you're serving him. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we are in chapter 13, looking at the Antichrist, who is referred to as the Beast in this chapter. As we pick up, Dr. Brogy gives reasons why the Antichrist will be of Jewish descent, despite some theologians who say that he'll be a Gentile. I believe the coming Antichrist is a Jew, and let me give you four reasons. Number one, because he comes from a Gentile country doesn't make him a Gentile any more than a Jew from America would be a Gentile. In fact, as early as two centuries before Christ, 200 years before Christ, if you go to Italy, I've seen some of the Jewish graves that go back 200 years before Christ. They refer to them as the Yehudim Italicum in Hebrew, that is Jewish Italians. Now, if indeed the Antichrist comes from the former Roman Empire, and he does, it may be that he comes from the capital of the former Roman Empire. I wouldn't be dogmatic on that. But when we come to the 17th chapter, we're going to see that these uh, seven uh, heads represent both seven kings and a city built on seven hills. And we will see when we come to Revelation 17, there is only one city in the entire world that will fit the biblical parameters from which the false religious empire will reign through the false prophet during this seven-year period, and it's the city of Rome. With that said, he could be from Italy, and certainly they are an insignificant country. And by the way, I'm not against Italians. My last name is actually not Brogi, it's Brogi. And so when I go to my, my son, he was uh, meeting Anthony Scalia and, uh, at a Christmas party, two of them. And one of them went up to Justice Scalia at the time, and he said, hello, my name's Grant Brogi, Milan. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, your family's from Milan. Of course, he didn't have it right. My other son, Jeremy, went up to him. Jeremy didn't know his brother had met him. Jeremy Brogi, Florence. <laughs> well, anyway, in either case, I am Italian, at least in partial. I also have a lot of Irish blood in me, but ultimately we're all related because we're all from one blood, the Bible says. We all descend from Adam and Eve. Lay that aside, he could be an Italian Jew, but the fact that he comes from a Gentile nation doesn't disqualify him from being a Jew because there's Jews all across the planet. Secondly, he comes and he commits the abomination of desolation. A Jew would be most qualified to go into the temple because of the sacredness of the temple in the minds of the Jewish people. I doubt for a single second they'd let some Gentile go in when he commits that act. They don't know he's going to commit that act, but they would not let him in. Third, it's inconceivable that the Messiah would be a Gentile in a Jew's mind. Now, we believe Messiah has come. They're going to learn that. The Jewish people are going to learn that. 
but it's inconceivable to any religious Jew today. You go up and you ask any religious Jew, will the coming Messiah, who they don't think has come yet, will he be a Jew or a Gentile? They'll laugh at the question. Are you kidding me? He's a Jew. In fact, most secular Jewish people recognize the coming Messiah will be a Jew. Why? Because that's what the Bible reveals about him. He is a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Judah, from the family of David. It's very, very specific. But in addition, we have biblical evidence to show that he is Jewish. Remember what Jesus said in John 5. It's that great chapter. You should learn it. Because if a JW or a Mormon or a Christian science or somebody else shows up at your door, you're trying to prove that Jesus claimed to be Lord. John 5 is one of the most powerful arguments. And in John 5, speaking to his Jewish people who had rejected him, he said, if I come in my Father's name and you do not receive me, which they did not, he came to his own, his own received him not, if another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. So because they rejected the good shepherd, Jesus predicted they would come and they would embrace another shepherd. Now, many of you know that unlike English, there are two words for another in Greek. There's the word heteros. We get our word heterosexual, speaking of another of a different kind. And then there's the word alos that means another of a same kind. Jesus said, if another, he uses the word alos, shall come. Another like him, another like him how, another like him, and that he will be Jewish. Now just think your way through this. Messiah, Hebrew word for Greek word Christ, Christos. We speak of a coming anti-Messiah or more prolifically an antichrist, one who is coming who's against Christ. The word anti, we have been learning and we will see further as we work through the revelation, can mean against or it can mean in the place of. And both nuances are given in the New Testament to describe this coming man of sin. In one sense, he comes against Christ. He's the opposite of Christ. And so our word antonym that speaks of opposites. Jesus came with godly power. The Antichrist is coming with the devil's power. We've already seen in this chapter, he comes up out of the sea. That is, he comes up out of the sea of Gentile nations, further elucidated by verse 2 from the former Roman Empire. But we've already studied also in Revelation 11 that the uh, coming Antichrist comes up out of the abyss. Which is it? He's a real human. He comes out of the former Roman Empire, but he comes out of the abyss in the sense, the abyss is that place of the most evil and hard demons are. And so there are some demons who are fearful that Jesus there in Cursey, where he dealt with the Gadarene demoniacs, that he would send them into the abyss. God is going to open up the abyss at one point, as we've already studied in the Revelation, in the power of the Antichrist will come from the abyss. He will have satanic power. So geographically, he's described as coming up out of the sea. Spiritually, in terms of his evil empowerment, he comes up out of the abyss. But not only is he the opposite of Jesus, and Jesus was kind and compassionate and loving. This man is as cruel as anyone you will ever see when his full character is displayed, especially in the second half of the seven years. 
But he also comes in the place of Jesus. Satan often disguises himself as an angel of light. And if he does, so don't his servants. Look again, I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And then it says, and the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, his mouth like a lion. And it was the devil, the dragon, who gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. Now, if you remember, Daniel is describing, using the exact same terminology in Daniel 7, the successive empires, but he does it in reverse order. First, he speaks of the lion, then he speaks of the bear, and then he speaks of the leopard. Why? Because he's looking into the future, and he's giving a prediction of what is going to happen. It's already happened. John is looking back at what has happened, but of course, he's looking back for a different reason. He's describing the nature of this coming man. He will come like a leopard, and we saw in Daniel's prophecy. It's all secularists agree. Even hardcore pagan liberals agree that Daniel was writing about the great Grecian Empire and Alexander the Great, who with incredible speed conquered the world. And then the bear in his empire, if you remember, pictured the Medo-Persian Empire with its crushing claws and its massive strength for which they were known. And then the lion, if you remember, represented Babylon. And today that symbol continues. You see the lions of Babylon and, and that empire under Nebuchadnezzar had a ravenous, uh, terrifying appetite. Well, Daniel doesn't even try to come up with a beast to describe this final revived Roman empire. And neither does John, but he does something that Daniel doesn't. He takes all three and he combines them into one. And he says, this is what the coming Antichrist will be like. Symbolically, he'll be like a lion and that his rise to power will be swift. It's like after 9-11, it's like, what happened? And I used to be able to, to walk with my family to the gate and say goodbye to him. Now we, we've lost all these. Overnight, everything changed. You haven't seen anything yet. I mean, he will come like a leopard swiftly to power. He will come with the feet of a bear to crush his opponents. He will come with the mouth of a lion and that he will devour anyone who stands in his way. And so metaphorically, John calls him the beast because of his cruel, hateful nature that wants to destroy. And the dragon, remember that's Satan, defined for us in Revelation 12, 9, these symbols interpret themselves. He gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. He has given his power, that his strength to rule, his throne. He, he, he's a world leader. He is going to lead a world government, and he has great authority. And the word for authority, exousia, describes someone who has the ability to do that which he pleases. And so this man is coming like that. And just as the Lord Jesus could say, he who has seen me has seen the Father, even so, this coming world leader, in essence, can say, he who has seen him has seen what the dragon is like. This is Satan's Superman, and he comes with wonder-working power. He comes with great deception. Verse 3, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Now, why is it 
that millions of billions will be deceived and follow after this man. Well, number one, he's a master liar. Number two, many people, like everyone in this room virtually, who has heard the gospel with power and authority and clarity, who did not believe, the Bible says it will be too late for them to believe when the tribulation starts. Because they rejected the truth, we'll study it further, they will believe a lie. That is going to happen. But there are people across the world who've never heard about Jesus, and millions of those will be converted, and not everyone will be deceived. But this coming man of sin will come with incredible deception, and many people who are what the Revelation literally calls earth dwellers, who have their affection on this life only, who love the darkness over the light, they will gladly give themselves to the Antichrist, whether they've ever heard about Jesus or not. But one of the things that he does, this deceiver, is he comes with lying Signs, wonders, and miracles, as Paul describes them in 2 Thessalonians 2. And one of the miracles is mentioned here. It says that he has been slain, but his fatal wound was healed. Now, we've already noted, and we'll see it when we come to the 17th chapter, that the term beast can be used metaphorically to describe this man's empire, or it can literally describe him. And so, for instance, when we say... uh, Hitler bombed London. We don't mean that he literally was in a plane and dropped the bombs. We're saying that Germany bombed London. We're using the person to describe the empire. It's used sometimes, and that's why it's, you have to carefully look at the context. And so some, knowing that there's a unique ability given to God alone, and Christ claims it for himself in John chapter 5, to raise people from the dead, therefore a proof of his deity, knowing that to be true, some say, well, what's being revived here, what was slain was the empire, and his empire comes back to life. Though at least they're trying to not contradict what Jesus plainly said. But this is not an organization that's described here because there are two personal pronouns that are used. It speaks here of the word his. I have an underlined and circled that pronoun in my Bible. And in addition, the first beast, whose, there's a second pronoun, whose fatal wound was healed. So some say it's an empire, but the problem is you have to deny the personal pronouns. Some say, well, this was not a real resurrection. This was a fake resurrection. Though the Antichrist didn't really die, he just faked dying, so to speak, to save the world, and then supposedly came to life. Or the third argument is that this was a real resurrection. And I think that's what the text is teaching. Let me give you several reasons why. Number one, Satan can do miracles. Now, his power is limited, but nonetheless, he can do the miraculous. Do you remember on that occasion when Satan brings a tornado under his power on Job and his family and, and wipes out his, his, his home and his children? Do you remember also he was given permission to lay boils upon Job? Job suffered boils all over his body. Satan has power. He gave power to the magicians there in Egypt who attempted to mimic what Moses did, the staff that turned into a serpent. Their staffs also turned into serpents. Of course, Moses' staff ate all their serpents. Uh, They turned the water into blood. So Satan can do miracles, and he could certainly do this miracle. Secondly, 
A second possibility is Satan didn't raise him from the dead, but God Almighty raised him from the dead. God can give authority and power in miracles even to unbelievers. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus commissions the 10? Authority, the Bible says, over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness was given to them, and that included Judas. Judas did miracles, and Christ gave him the authority to do those miracles. But Judas, of course, was an unbeliever. So God certainly could have done this miracle if He so chooses to do this as part of the judgment. Or third, if Satan did this miracle, and I would argue for that, that this was an actual resurrection, not a fake resurrection, understand that it was not the same kind of resurrection that Jesus is arguing for when He does so as a point of His own deity. Paul describes the Lord Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He describes him as the firstborn of the dead. And Jesus, when he defends his deity, says this, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to those whom he wishes. That's an argument for his deity. He raises the dead. Now, if you were with us in the early sermons in the Revelation, in the first chapter, we saw that there are eight people in the Bible who are raised from the dead, three in the Old Testament, five in the New Testament. But they are raised to life only to die again. Jesus is the first one ever to be resurrected to life. He comes out of the grave as the first fruits in a resurrected body. And someday under his unique authoritative power as God the Son, he will raise up dead people, some to go to hell and some to go to heaven. Look, my body is not suited to walk on streets of gold. The Bible says this mortal must put on immortality. This perishable must put on the imperishable. Neither is the unbeliever's body suited to go to hell, because in hell the fire is never quenched, the worm never dies, and a person will spend eternity there. Their body's not consumed in a moment. Just like I get a new body, the unbeliever gets a new body, and Christ will do both. The devil cannot duplicate resurrection, but he can raise someone to life, and that's exactly what you're doing. We say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at verse 3, Pastor. I'm looking at it. I saw one of his heads as if, here's the argument, as if it had been slain. It wasn't really slain. It was as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed after it. Well, listen, as if it had been slain is very clear in Greek, and it's clear in English too if you just think your way through it. Think about how this same exact words were used right down to the letter in Revelation 5 and verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb, that's Jesus, standing as if slain, exact same Greek phrase. John does not mean that Jesus was not really slain, not really dead. He was literally slain. By extension and application, the Antichrist is going to have some assassination attempt against his life, 
And he will literally come back to life and he's going to bedazzle the whole world. And it's going to result, verse 4, in the dragon being worshipped because he gave his authority to the beast. And so just as God the Father is worshipped through God the Son, for no one can come to the Father but through the Son, the evil one, Satan, as an angel of light, will be worshipped through this man, the Antichrist. Still with me? (laughs) That's the context. Let's get into the meat of the new passage. Okay, a few things I want you to see today. Number one, the Antichrist is coming to defy the God of heaven. He's coming to defy the God of heaven. Look at verse 5. There was given to him, this Antichrist, this beast, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. An authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Now, you will remember that the tribulation period is specified in the Bible as being seven years long, and it's divided into two equal halves. And so, as you can see in this chart, three terms are used in the Bible. It's called three and a half years, 1,260 days, or 42 months. Two equal halves that are described as such by the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus, the Apostle John, and the prophet Daniel. Daniel, hundreds of years, ever before John is given the revelation and sees this vision in heaven, speaks of the same time frame, a seven-year time frame, divided into two halves. And so you can see right in the middle of this seven years, it is divided. In the first half, Israel is protected. Israel receives this Jewish man. They think he is their Messiah. But an event will happen right in the middle of the seven years that will open their eyes and they will realize it is impossible for this man, the beast, the Antichrist, to be the Messiah. Jesus predicted this. He said in Matthew 24, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel, not the historian, But Daniel the prophet, Jesus said he wrote of the future. He didn't record history. So if you side with the liberals, you're going against Jesus. Let me make that clear. Which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. So usually we refer to the first half as the tribulation period, and the second half is the great tribulation period, though technically on one spot, the first half is called great tribulation, which would make the second half great, great tribulation. In either case, it's seven years, and when the Antichrist goes into a rebuilt temple, some of you were with me in Israel two months ago, and we went to the Temple Institute. We saw all the architectural drawings for the temple. We saw people going through the street chanting there on Independence Day, celebrating 70 years of miracles as a nation. We want to build the temple. We want to build the temple. That's what the Jewish people were chanting. It was incredible. We saw all the furniture reproduced, all the priestly garments out of the fields. They're training them in the sacrificial system. It is all in place for this event that is coming. It's not by accident, friend. And Paul tells us when he describes this event that the Antichrist will go into this rebuilt temple and he will oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. That has never happened, but it's going to happen. 
Daniel writes it 600 years before Christ, 700 years virtually before John writes, because he writes in 95 AD. So here's the next chart. Again, Daniel speaks of one year, two year, plus a half a year, three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days, same terminology found here. And so here in the second half of the trip of this seven year period, Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Peacemaker, so to speak, is going to make a major change in the way he operates with people. The Antichrist will take off as nice guy, peace negotiator, wonderful leader, uh, uh, mankind mask, and he is going to demand of things that he had never demanded before. And he will openly declare himself to be God. And as we're going to see here in our study of the Revelation, he is going to do it in a way that will convince the Jewish people that he cannot be the Messiah. I mean, if Jesus went into the temple and said, this is my father's house, which he did, he was in essence claiming to be God Almighty. That didn't make him a phony. But the way the Antichrist is going to do it, the Jewish people are going to recognize that he is a fake, a fraud, that he is of the evil one, and God is going to pour his spirit out upon their hearts, and they're going to believe that Yeshua is Lord. Look at verse 5. There was given to him, for he can only do what God allows him to do. It was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act, just like Daniel says, 42 months was given to him. Right out in the margin next to this verse, Daniel 11.36. Put that out in the margin. Remember, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. In Daniel 11.36, we read, Then the king, speaking of the Antichrist in that chapter, this king will do as he pleases, He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. The coming Antichrist is a blasphemer without equal. And verse 5 of Revelation chapter 13 amplifies and illustrates this statement. He comes with braggadocious words. He comes, Daniel says, with speaking monstrous things. He comes with great boasts. He has a mouth on him that is uncompared to any leader who's ever come. Hitler could sway the crowds. This man will sway not just the German people. He will sway the entire world. And he will make great boasts. He'll get you to believe that up is down, down is up, black is white, white is black. That if you kill your own mother, you're serving God if you're serving him. And Jesus said he will come with such powerful signs, wonders, and miracles that if possible, because it's not possible, he would deceive even the elect. Furthermore, in verse 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, namely those who dwell in heaven. This man of sin is the very mouth of hell. When he speaks, hell speaks. And he speaks blasphemies. And blasphemy is when you speak evil or irreverently or profanely about God. That's one way in which you can blaspheme God. Blasphemy can also be accomplished when you claim to be God and you're not. That's what they accuse Jesus of. Why are you stoning me? Because of the good works I do? No, but because you who are just a man make yourself out to be God. You're guilty of blasphemy. That's what they said. They used the same word. 
To listen again to today's study from Revelation 13 entitled, One Nation Under a False God, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV33. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll continue our look at One Nation Under a False God. Join us then as we search the Scriptures. <music>